0: Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts for today, Kathy and Karen. Today, we are discussing episode 54 of The Story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gong Lue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. This podcast episode consists of a drama episode recap, and then we'll talk a little bit about some behind the scenes events, and then we'll move on to discuss the history portrayed in this episode. We are finally at one of the most satisfying episodes in the entire drama. I am super excited to get through it. In the last episode, the Empress Nala successfully got her way in having the Silkworm Ceremony take place, which will allow her to preside over it as Empress. This was crucial for her to retain her power and status as Empress, or so she thinks. However, this pisses off the Empress Dowager, who was not so eager for this ceremony to take place. As we described last episode, the silkworm ceremony is rather extravagant, and ladies of the aristocracy and of court officials are all included in the ceremony. But before we get to the actual events, let's turn back to what's happening in the palace. Ying Luo's maids Mingyu and Zhenzhu happened upon their old colleague Hu Po, who had been sentenced to kneel for several hours after upsetting Shu Pin earlier in the last episode. As a reminder, Hu Po used to work with Mingyu and Zhenzhu and technically Luo under the late Empress Fu Cha, but has since been demoted to Xinju Ku because she was rather disrespectful to Ying Luo when Ying Luo returned as a concubine. Hu Po passes out in front of these two ladies, and they bring her back to Yan Xigong to recover. Wu is not pleased at all to see Hu Po, who had, like I said, been disrespectful. But Hu Po pleads for forgiveness and trades valuable information to ensure it. Hu Po reveals that on the night the late empress Fu Cha died, she heard Er Qing having a conversation with the late empress. It was that day that Er Qing, with fake tears, reveal that the Empress kept her over the night of the second princess memorial, so sometime in the past. What's worse is that at this critical juncture, Er Qing also reveals that she is pregnant with the Emperor's child. Honestly, I'm just pissed watching this entire scene because we all know Er Qing orchestrated this event, even ate medicine to make it easier to get pregnant, And for her to tell the Empress right now, in her weakened state, it's utterly despicable. Well, you could also say the acting by the uh, actress for our ting Su-Ting is utterly on point because in one second she is just crying tears in front of the Empress and then the next moment she turns around and her face immediately changes. The despair on the Empress's face when she saw or when she heard this, that the two people closest to her betrayed her was so heartbreaking It is telling that the empress's last words to Erting was that she is never to step foot in the palace again. But does Erting listen? Not at all. I don't know how I would have responded if someone like Erting told me of what she did. I think the empress handled it as gracefully as she could. But oh my goodness, Erting is a piece of work. And you know what? Thank goodness we have Ying Luo. She is honestly me right now. She is shaking with anger at hearing Hu Po recount this story. She now recognizes that it was ultimately Er Qing who pushed the late empress to utter despair and take that final step to end her life. There is no way Ying Luo is going to let this go easily. Her anger, though, is not only towards Er Qing, but to the emperor as well. She smashes all of the food that Li Yu bought or brought for Yingluo from the emperor because she cannot stand the hurt that he inflicted upon her beloved late empress The day of the silkworm ceremony arrives er Qing takes her opportunity to plead to the emperor of her treatment in the Fucha household by Fu Hong she thinks her tears will put at least some pressure on the emperor to help her current situation, given that they share a child. He hears her comments, a little frustrated, and allows her to leave. She is then immediately led, while well, technically abducted, to meet Ying Luo, who is patiently waiting for her in the late empress's palace. Er Erting recognizes that this is not in her best interest to stay and tries to leave, but her exit is blocked. In front of a memorial for the late Empress Fu Cha, Mingyu exchanges barbs with her and questions how she could do this to her old master. Finally, Er Erting lets out her frustration. I rolled my eyes when I saw this scene the first time. Er Erting's like, she could not stand suddenly losing her favor after Ying Luo arrived. She could not stand that the Empress did not help her secure a marriage with Fu Hong. And so she had to retaliate. She felt like she had to take revenge. And what better blow would it be to tell the Empress she is pregnant with the emperor's child immediately after the death of her son? Oh my goodness, this woman is absolutely despicable and essentially maniacal. I do appreciate Ying Luo's words of, don't try to find excuses for your despicable deeds. Erxing is trying to play the victim after quote-unquote suffering in the palace, when in reality, it was she who made all of those choices time and again. Compare her to Mingyu, who also had a crush on Fu Hong and Look at how vastly different their paths diverged. I mean, come on. Without further ado, Ying Luo, like a total boss, presents Er Ting with a few options of how she wants to die or how she should die. Er Ting is shocked that Ying Luo would dare to kill her given her status as Fu Hung's wife, but Ying Luo does not care one iota. Next thing we know, the Emperor has heard that Lu and Erting had not been present for the silkworm ceremony and hurriedly arrived on the scene only to see Erting's body slumped on the ground. He is absolutely furious to see Lu act so rashly without second thought of consequence given Erting's status. But she turns around calmly with a very dead look in her eyes and tells him that it was Er Qing who told the late empress of her liaison or tryst with the emperor the night the late empress died that is why Er Qing must die in that moment the emperor's expression shifts and he understands in an instant why Ying Luo did what she did the emperor isn't given much time to explain what happened though before Empress Nala bursts in She is, quote-unquote, shocked to see Erting's body and gives a quizzical look to the room. The emperor steps in and just says that Erting was overcome with grief and decided to follow her late master, evidently trying to protect Yingluo. The empress isn't fully convinced, but instantly helps put together a plan to make Erting's death more plausible. The emperor, still very angry with Yingluo for her actions, also claims that Ying Luo is sick before storming off. She asks, is she really sick? With a very, very uh, dead laugh. And he says, yes, you are sick. With just these two main ladies left, the Empress praises Ying Lo for her swift and decisive action against Er Qing. But Ying Lo, just as Chun Guifei realized before she died is recognizing what a formidable foe the empress is because she was not at all surprised to hear that Er Qing was another woman of the emperors. Given that, it would seem that Hu Po's presence in front of Ying Luo was all orchestrated by the empress so that Ying Luo would act the way she does. The ultimate goal? Removing Ying Luo from the emperor's favor. And it seems to have worked for now, but does Ying Luo care? No, she finally enacted revenge against everyone who caused the late Empress Fu Cha's death. At least everyone who she think did. That was her whole purpose in coming back to the palace. Now that she has completed her goal, she's not worried about her consequences. And the reason why I said that Yingluo knows of or the people that Yingluo knows of is because we know that Empress Nala also had a hidden hand in everything. Alright, and that is it for the episode recap. Here's some interesting behind-the-scenes information. One important scene here that was cut was Er Qing's actual death. Mingyu was the one who forced Er Qing to drink the poison, which is why the dialogue in the episode is all about Mingyu killing Er Qing. The drama cut all of that out, but in behind-the-scenes bloopers, we see them act this out. And this is the scene that they cut, which is why all we see in the episode is Er Qing already dead on the ground with kind of like blood spilling from her mouth. Next up, there's also some rumors that scenes were cut between Er Qing and Fu Hong's younger brother, who seemingly had a crush on Er Qing. There's a couple of rumors that the two of them had an affair based on preliminary cuts of the drama, but that storyline was ultimately cut out. And this is why in some scenes, Fu Hong's brother was very quick to come to Er Erting's aid, but nothing more came of it. We don't see the Fu Cha family anymore after this scene. Pretty much it's Ertin's death and that's it. We're moving on to the rest of uh, Yinglo's story. And so you could say that there are some sloppy scenes um, because storylines were not as satisfactorily uh, answered for some of these like stray loose ends of individuals that seem to have had a purpose, but then suddenly were just discarded. I will also make a comment that I find it fascinating that we talked all about the silk room ceremony in the last episode and this episode, and we saw nothing. nothing. <laughs> they probably were like, do we actually want to spend all this money on making the scene? Nah, it's all good. <laughs> but we do see all of the women in the Imperial harem and all of the uh, women of or wife of the courtiers dressed up in like formal attire, ready for the silk ceremony, but no actual ceremony. Exactly now let's move on to history we finally say goodbye to the despicable selfish and crazy earth and i kid you not i remember when this episode first dropped um during its initial airing everyone was like yes thank you she's gone I also was like, how bad was she in history? So, you know, for this podcast episode, I went down that rabbit hole. And let's just say that the show dramatizes everything about Fu Hong's wife. Fu Hong's wife was born in 1722 and died in 1793. So even from that, we can see that um, she lived a pretty long life. Nothing like being killed unceremoniously in the 1750s, it's kind of still unclear what exact year we are in. In addition, Fu Hung's wife did not come from the Sithala or Hitara clan, but from the Yehanara or Nala clan. So I will not call her as Erqing today, but I will call her as Lady Yehenara simply because I want us to all delineate between fact and fiction. Unfortunately, we do not have a full name found in the records. Quite frankly, there's little in the official records about Lady Yehanara. Her family was not from the Bao Yi class, but rather the exact opposite. Lady Yehanara's father was the grandson of a very famous minister, Nalan Mingzhu, who served three reigns. Her mother came from the Guo or Zha clan. These two clans both comprise of the big eight Manchu families. So we can see that Lady Yehanara's lineage and pedigree was top notch. The Yehenara clan was able to boast several women in the imperial harem throughout the Qing dynasty, including empresses. So Lady Yehanara grew up trained as a proper lady, learning the arts of zither, Chinese go, calligraphy and drawing. She was apparently also a beauty. There were rumors or folk sayings that she was the most beautiful Manchu for a time. Think probably of uh, Shen Meizhuang from Empresses in the Palace. It isn't probably a stretch to say that the Yehanara clan probably wanted this woman to also enter into the palace. However, Emperor Qianlong showed no interest in growing the power of the Yehanara clan, and honestly the power of other notable Manchu families, so he stopped the selection for a time. Even though there was one Yihanara woman who entered the palace during Tianlong's reign, namely Fei, who we don't really see much in this drama. The Yihanara clan then turned their attention towards making good matches with other prominent families in the capital, and that's how they selected. Fu Cha Fu Hong. Lady Ye Hanara was a lucky woman, much luckier than Er Erd in this drama. Fu Cha Fu Hong only married her, and there's no record of him taking any other concubine after their marriage. That was extremely rare for men in Imperial China, literally like zero men. (laughs) So there must have been something going right in this marriage. The two had six, yes, six children, four sons and two daughters. The first son, Fu Ling An, it's unknown when he was born. He died in 1767. He also married a princess. We next have Fu Long An, who was born in 1743 and died in 1784. He also married a princess and rose to become the Minister of War and also the Minister of Works. Then we, of course, have Fu Kang An, who was the subject of this episode's debate who was born in 1754 and died in 1796. He, I will talk about him much more later on, so I'll leave it at that. And then, of course, there's Fu Chang'an, who was born in 1760 and died in 1817. Okay, I'm also reading that Fu Hong did have one concubine who was the birth mother of Fu Chang'an, but this also doesn't seem corroborated because everywhere else says that Fu Chang'an was born to Lady Yehanara, Anyways, let's just say that Fu Hong didn't have that many women in his life, so it was like probably one or two. Now, we don't know the names of his daughters, but we do know that one married the 10th prince of Emperor Qianlong Yongxin, and the other married the prince of Rei, Chunyi, a descendant of Duoduo. Lady Yehanara was granted the title of Duchess of the First Rank or a Yi Pin Furin due to the accomplishments of her husband and also her sons. All that seems fine and square, right? So then what about the story of sleeping with the Emperor and having a son by the Emperor who we have as Fu Kang An in this drama? Well, over the centuries, there has been plenty, and I mean plenty, of rumors of Fu Kang'an's parentage. I think maybe some really started in the 19th century, like just really like trickles of like folklore. But a lot of these rumors, folk stories, funnily enough, began flourishing after the fall of the Qing dynasty in 1912. Books were printed during this time that include rather pointed stories in their accusations or suspicions that Fu kang An might be the illegitimate child of the Emperor and Fu Hong’s wife. In a novel compiled by Wu Shijian Jian, called Qing Gong Ci, there is a poem in it that goes as such: Ren Yen Chong Wu Duan, Jiang Fu This basically means or the lines of the poem really really heavily imply that Fu Hung's wife went to visit Empress Fu Cha and when she did so, she slept with the Emperor and gave birth to Fu Kang An. I personally love these three words, chong, jiao fang, fang is the historical name for the Empress, not during the Qing dynasty but from the uh, Han dynasty. So uh, I love learning all or knowing all of these references. Anyways, so that was published in, I think, the early 1910s, multiple stories published in 1916, 1919, and beyond all printed various versions of the story. Some wrote that the date happened during the Empress's birthday, you know, when Fu Hong's wife slept with the Emperor. Another said that the Empress got into an argument with the Emperor on this matter, hence why she died in 1748. And that kind of is, I guess, what the screenwriter decided to base the current story off of. That one I can't get behind because, well, Fu Kangan was born in 1754. The Empress died in 1748, so I don't know how you square that timeline away. And quite frankly, I don't know how we square that timeline away in this drama. What's hilarious is that in a lot of these stories, Fu Hong's wife's last name also changes. Poor woman, uh, <laughs> it goes from Nara to Sun Jia to Tong to Dong which are pretty random. This storyline was picked up as plot points for various writers well into the later part of the 20th century, including the famed Wu wuxia writer Jin Yong, who made Fu Kang'an a major character in several of his books set in the Qing dynasty and went with the rumor that he was the emperor's illegitimate son. I remember reading those books when I was younger, so I was well-versed with this rumor. Most historians view this as Simply speculation. Why the speculation, though? Simply because, well, in life, the favor that Fu Kang'an received from Emperor Tianlong was well beyond that of any normal official. From a relations perspective, Emperor Tianlong is Fu Kang'an's uncle, so let's remind everyone of this. Wu Kang'an in history was a well-respected general and court official. He is one of the few men during the Qing dynasty to be granted the title of wang or prince who was not directly a royal. In life, he was gifted the title of beizi or prince of the fourth rank. And after he died, he was given the title of jia Yongjun wang or prince of the second rank. What's also curious that people point out is that Fu Hong's other sons were able to marry Tianlong's daughters or marry royal princesses. So why not Fu Kang'an? These two points above led storytellers to go wild with speculation. Honestly, though, these can be easily explained. Fu Kang'an basically grew up in the imperial palace with Tianlong's own sons. Emperor Tianlong still remembering his late wife. Favored Fu Hong and his sons. Thankfully, they all lived up to Emperor Qianlong's expectations, doing well at court and on the battlefield. Fu Kang An apparently also looked shockingly like the Emperor's second son, Yonglian. The boy, of course, died young and was the first son of Empress Fu Cha. So the Emperor, of course, favored Fu Kang An. Another point. Emperor Qianlong wanted to confer the prince title to Fu Hong, but he adamantly refused in life. So the emperor decided to confer it to Fu Kang'an. Fu Kang'an by himself rightly earned his prince title because he, of course, greatly contributed to the battlefield. But most likely a big contributing factor for giving him or gifting him this prince title was because his father refused it. As to Fu Kang-an not marrying a princess, well, there wasn't any princess available of eligible age when Fu Kang-an came of age. So, I mean, who was he to marry? In the dramas, the most famous portrayal of Fu Kang'an or fictitious portrayal of Fu Kang'an is perhaps Fu Er Kang from Huan Gogo or Pearl Princess. And let's just say he was such a gentleman in that drama. I think everybody wanted to marry a guy similar to Fu Er Kang. And lastly, let's wrap up with talking about the portrait of the uh, late empress that we saw in this episode. This portrait is a well-known piece that was painted by court painters when the empress turned 24 and became empress. She is in her formal court attire, and I believe it was painted again by the painter Giuseppe Castiglioni, one of his many works of the Elites of the Imperial Harem. The painting is currently housed in the Palace Museum in Beijing, if you ever get the chance to go see it in person. And that is it for today's podcast episode. Friendly reminder that if you are looking for sites to watch Chinese dramas and you are in the U.S., please head on over to visit our sponsor, Jubao TV, uh, which is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch with English subtitles. They have just recently launched on Plex, so you can access it on the website or on your TV. Again, all of this is free. Also, please do remember to leave us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to. And remember to send us information or comments and feedback. We love hearing from you. Thanks again so much for listening and we will catch you in the next podcast episode.